All right. It is 9.30, so if everyone wants to grab a seat, then we'll get started here. All right, we are in chapter 10, section 1. We got started last week, discussed everything from soup to nuts that was not part of this section, and then we got a start on it last week, so that's good. Um, Do I have a volunteer to open in prayer before we get started? Rob Harder, would you open in prayer, please? Amen. All right, so page 27, chapter 10, section number one. I'll read it out. We got through to the end of footnote one last week, so that's where we'll pick up for today. Okay, and this is about effectual calling, or uh, in other words, what happens when a person uh, starts going through this process of being born again as they hear the gospel. In God's appointed and acceptable time, he is pleased to call effectually by his word and spirit those who he has predestined to life. He calls them out of their natural state of sin and death to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. He enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. He takes away their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. He renews their wills and by his almighty power turns them to good and effectually draws them to Jesus Christ. Yet he does all this in such a way that they come completely freely since they are made willing by his grace. Okay, and so we did all the uh, notes on, uh, on footnote one and so we'll pick up the second clause here which starts right after that which says here, Um, By his word and spirit, those who he has predestined to life, he calls them out of their natural state of sin and death to grace and salvation in Jesus Christ. And why don't we look uh, there, that's Ephesians 2, 1 through 6, and who wants to read that? Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. Keith. Up through verse 6. So again, this is going over ground that's already been covered in the preceding chapters. But you see the pattern here. We were spiritually dead. We were following the desires of our fallen nature, which is sinful desires. And so we're going along that way, 
through life, and then suddenly God makes us alive. Okay, so it says, while we were dead, even when we were dead in verse 5, he, God, made us alive together with Christ. And again, this picture of that this happens in Christ is very, very important. That we don't get a mechanical view of this or an impersonal view, like this is just the laws of nature or this is just the laws of something grinding away coldly. This is personal. This is fatherly. This is in Christ. So this is in union with Christ. You cannot separate union with Christ from the rebirth and from conversion. It all happens in Christ as we're grafted into Christ and covered uh, by him. And it's really us that this is happening to, but it's God's work that's doing it. And I think I've given the picture of natural birth. Do we have to know, do you have to remember when you were born to know that you were born? No. No, you don't. You don't. But the fact that you're alive today means, clearly, you were born, right? Um, And I I can't stress this enough. If you don't know the day or the hour of your conversion, you're not a second-rate Christian. That just means this happened at a time that you don't recollect. And I was actually thinking about this again yesterday, doing some work, and I just thought of the, you know, how much that used to bother me. And is there ever a moment I can remember not being a Christian? And there just is not. And that used to bother me, and it does not bother me anymore. I'm just thankful for it. I never, I never remember not being a Christian. Now, there's been steps along the way where I felt like, okay, now I've made a major step forward, either in understanding or in fighting sin or whatever. Um, that can happen. But I don't remember not being a Christian. And I mentioned that enough. Maybe that doesn't bother anyone else. But is there anyone... Here, and this isn't right or wrong, this is an experience question. Does anyone have an experience like mine where you never remember not being a Christian and it used to bother you? Because you'd hear some athlete's testimony and God saved them in the most miraculous way. So they're they're like a really spiritual Christian and I'm just a boring Christian. Has that has anyone other than me struggled with that? Or is that unique to me? I think that's entirely possible. Because I, I have a moment like that too when I remember at about age four, sitting on the brown, ugly 1980s carpet that was very nice and expensive back in the day, um, and asking how to become a Christian. But it's not like I was some opposed to it before that. So was I regenerated long before that and this was a step along the way? Maybe. Maybe it happened right then. I, I don't know. And there's been times later in my adult life where I've all of a sudden felt like I've made a major breakthrough in understanding something or applying it to myself. And I re- in my 20s, I had a moment like that. And by moment, I mean a springtime 
of wondering, did I just get saved? Uh, and that happened in my 20s, and I think I was saved before that. But the, the breakthrough was so significant, I wondered if it actually, did it actually just happen now? And, and I'm convinced it, I shouldn't say I'm convinced, I don't think it did. But I think your experience, especially for those of us who grew up in a Christian home, I think that's common. And there's two things we can think about that. One is, that's good, because how much sin and misery has that saved us from, Right? What, we have to, what those of us who have a testimony like that need to be aware of, um, because we weren't rescued from great sin, it's easy to not grasp what the Bible says about who we are, right? Because at, for you at age three, for me at age four, we were little rebels before our conversion, right? We just didn't have the sophistication or the means to carry out all the sin that's in our heart. But watch two-year-olds play. There's sin in those little hearts. They'll hit each other with trucks and they want... There's one thing that they're convinced of is that they're the most important person in the world. Right? Nobody taught them that. That's just sin <laughs> coming out. And so the, the caution for those of us like that is to recognize what does the Bible say about it even though I never... God never let me to the end of that rope really. But that doesn't mean that what was in here didn't need an overhaul. Right? Anyone else on that? Lisa. That's a great question. If you guys didn't hear it, Lisa's asking, what does sanctification look like for a small child like that? Can we see fruits? And I'll throw that out before I take a stab at it. Can you see spiritual fruit in a five-year-old? Yeah, I, th- I think so. What's that? I heard someone saying something. Yeah, okay. Alfred. Yeah, and I agree with that, but I'd even extend it to adults, right? The man, you know, the, the famous Elister Begg clip, the man on the middle cross said I could come. The guy who just got converted probably had no way to articulate the Trinity before he just shows up in front of a triune God, right? That, that can happen too, but for sure for little kids. They're going to have unsophisticated ways of thinking and talking about it. But I do agree, I do think you can see a five-year-old whose heart wants to obey the Lord, and a five-year-old who's just obeying you on the outside, but in my heart, I'm fighting you, right? You, you can very clearly see the difference, I think, in those kids. Jolene.
Yeah, so if you didn't hear, Lynn's just talking about depending on where we start, this might look different even at the same age, right? Where one five-year-old who's had it easy might find their sanctification moves much faster than a five-year-old from a broken home that, with an angry dad that beats them up, right? They might be regenerate, but it's going to look different. That kid has a lot more to overcome. And he might be working three times as hard to get a C-plus on his sanctification than the other kid who can cakewalk to an A-plus, right? And It, yeah, it, it certainly can be. So Jillian's also pointing out outward behavior can be a show. But, and I don't think you'll disagree, but I would want to be careful from separating it from outward behavior because a heart change does need to show itself in outward behavior as well. The outward behavior can be showy. It can be proud. But to say, well, I'm sanctified on the inside, but I'm still living an ungodly life, that, and I'm, I, I don't suspect that's what you're saying at all. Right. Yeah. That was a little Pharisee growing up. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that can happen too, for sure. Anyone else? Karame. And I think, you know, so Karamei's just saying, if I'm understanding, you kind of delayed baptism for fear that something, a roadblock may come in your growth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's not uncommon either. I've heard Michael and Jessica Richardson, they were here a number of weeks ago giving a report, missionaries. And I, you know, in personal conversations, I don't think they brought it up here. But in personal conversations, I know Michael has sometimes said, you know, people just assume missionaries are these spiritual giants who don't struggle with sin like the rest of us, right? And, and people think that if you're a preacher or missionary or whatever, like, oh, well, there's some level of spiritual maturity you've unlocked, and that's, people are just people, right? And God equips and gifts people differently, but that idea that there's tiers or like a caste system of Christians is not a healthy way to look at things. Everyone's saved by grace and one has made it this far in their sanctification another further. But it's not like there's carnal Christians and spiritual Christians. There's Christians. Right? There's Christians. Yeah. Anything else on this?
Tim just mentioned too, the, in terms of younger kids, do they throw a temper tantrum or do they show remorse when they've been caught in their sin? Right? And, and that's scary. I've talked to one older lady who talked about raising her children some of which are still not showing any signs of spiritual maturity. But she said it was, it was difficult because her five-year-old could just look you right in the eyes and just tell a bald-faced lie with no remorse, no guilt, nothing. Just so hardened as a five-year-old. And then naturally you're smoking by seven and getting into dad's car keys at ten. And like, what is that? Right? That seems especially brazen to us. But that is, apart from the grace of God, that's, all of us can tell a lie looking into someone's eyes, right? We, we can. But it, it seems especially brazen at young ages. Like, how can you just lie to me, just to, to my face? Yeah. And I think there too, if we put this into child rearing, to Jolyn's point and to this, I think it's important too that we don't punish kids for being kids. Right? Discipline is for disobedience. It's not for being small. Right? So if you don't have motor skills and you spill your milk at the table, that's actually not sinful. That's just a lack of development. Right? Save discipline for actual sinful things. You know, when is it time to start spanking a child? Well, not the first time they annoy you, because then that's going to be at a pretty young age. But once a child clearly can look at you, and we've had this with all of our kids, so don't look at any of them real judgy, because it was all three, and probably all of your kids too. But they, they, there's a certain point, probably at around 18 months, two years old or so, where they can look at you, and they know exactly what's expected, and they've decided they're going to do it the other way anyway. That's the age at which they're ready to spank. Once they know that what they're doing is sinful and wrong and contrary to mom and dad's wishes, that's when we are thankful that God gave every child a little spot with extra padding for us to teach them that sin is going to hurt them. Okay? Um, yeah. Oh, spanking story. Let's hear it. <laughs> it's time for a discipline. Yeah. Yeah, amen. Karame. Reed's not that old yet. <laughs> I can think of some instances at 18 months where a spanking was needed. Yeah. Maybe not all kids. Yeah. And this isn't this isn't a cookie cutter. Don't take from this <laughs> that it's a cookie cutter. But I do think if a kid understands the word no. And they're doing it anyway. That's rebellion. That's not childishness. <laughs> I won't put a cookie cutter number on it. But when a child is sinning in their heart, and a spanking is not to vent your frustration as a parent, a spanking needs to be followed up with a gospel conversation. God gave you a mummy and a daddy to teach you obedience. Okay? And if you disobey what mommy said, you're actually disobeying God. And that's sinful. And sin is going to kill your heart. So I'm giving you a spanking so you know that sin hurts. Right? And it has to happen quickly for a small child, a two-year-old or a four-year-old. It has to happen quickly so that they associate the sin with the pain. And as they grow older, you 
move that more and more to a conversational thing, right? You're not going to spank a 14-year-old. Um, but at those young ages, there has to be very swift connection. Sin hurts. Sin hurts. Sin hurts. And they will. that also helps to establish your authority as a parent, right? When your kid is, you know, especially for you as a mom, it's not going to be long before Reed is bigger and stronger than you, okay? But respect for mom has to happen when he fits on your lap, right? So that it's not about physical strength, it's about spiritual maturity and what's, what's God's order for the family, right? Yes, because sometimes it's saving you from bigger pain, right? The slap on your hand is going to hurt less than the element. Yeah. But speed is important. Yeah, speed is important in those things. Yeah, and, and I would say with this, and again, this has nothing to do with, well, it's a stretch to get it to effectual calling, and we'll get back there. But if we're thinking about shaping hearts here, which is what we're talking about, a spanking, and this, I have to say, was done well for me as a kid. A spanking needs a conversation about the gospel. Because as a kid, I'm sure you all remember this, you can feel the tension building as you're just being an idiot, and idiot boys at age 7 to 25 can't quit being idiots, right? Like there's just something that needs to be a complete moron coming out of you. And you just feel this tension building and tension is building and tension is building. And you know I just need a spanking. I remember thinking I want a spanking because then the air is just going <laughs> to settle. I, it, which is a weird thought. Did that mean I stopped being an idiot? No, of course not. But... I was looking forward to when the air would lift. <laughs> well, and that's <laughs> maybe a tactic too. But then that spanking happens. And again, because we're made in the image of God, that means atonement has been achieved. The guilt is gone. The shame is gone. But then it's up to dad and mom to explain that Christ is completely ready to forgive your sins. And the air is just as settled when you come to Christ as when the spanking takes the tension out of the living room. It, it happens quickly. There's a clear association with sin and pain. But then the gospel conversation about forgiveness and peace and the air being cleared and covered in the righteousness of Christ, that needs to happen so that kids also don't associate the spanking with, oh, dad's just really ticked off. It has to be redemptive in nature. right? Discipline ought to be redemptive in nature. Keith. Amen. Yeah, it should never ever be dad venting. 
it's excommunicating. Yep. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I would give a hearty amen to that. It's a cold form of excommunication for a four-year-old. And, and if a spanking happens quickly, and there's clearly love behind it, you know, you're allowed to sit on dad's lap for a few minutes to cry and to be hugged and for dad to reassure you, I love you, this is for your good. Right? And it seems like cold comfort to a kid. You know, dad's saying, this is going to hurt me more than you. Once you're a dad, you realize, yes, that's actually, <laughs> that's true. You don't want to do this, but you have to for the child's spiritual benefit. And another thing on that too, there's nothing more pitiful that gives an inaccurate picture of God than the counting. Right? It just makes my blood boil. when I'm count- Okay, I'm counting to three now. One, two, two point two. 2.4, right? It's just, there's, there's no teeth behind that. And it's teaching too, I'm allowed to sin. It's saying, oh, boys will be boys, right? Give them a season to be, to disobey. But what's the bar of God's justice? Holiness, right? And if that's transgressed, God doesn't wink and say, oh, boys will be boys. They, you know, they're allowed to misbehave or girls when they're hormonal are allowed to misbehave. God, that's not the way God operates. The standard is the standard. Um, and that's another, I think, especially cruel way of arbitrary justice. Because mom never counts to three quickly, for one. And then if she would, it seems arbitrary and harsh. Because what's the standard here? Sometimes mom never makes it to three. This time she did. What? Right? Obedience is prompt. And, and the younger a kid is, the more important it is that obedience is prompt. And, and as they get older, you work with the heart rather than, than behavior. And again, I... I cannot recommend enough, a book we give to all the parents of new babies here, I cannot recommend Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp enough. It's not a book of techniques, it's a book of principles for parents to understand about shaping a heart, which is, makes it superior to other ch- manuals of technique. Uh, I cannot stress it enough. And if your kids are older, it's still not too, ra- too late to read it. Just read that book. Before you have kids, read it. When you have toddlers, read it. When you... Read that book. It's, it's very helpful in understanding the biblical pattern of what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, there's probably more than one way to answer that. One is go to a university protest and look at a generation raised on gentle parenting. And you can look at that and say, I rest my case. Um, But I'd say the Proverbs actually have lots of wisdom about a rod for the back of a fool. Right? Homer Simpson misunderstood it. He said, I say, spare the rod and spoil the child. (laughs) He's misunderstanding it. This is, a, this is a threat of what will happen if you do spare the rod, right? It's not saying, please spare the rod and spoil your child. It's saying, if you spare the rod, you will spoil your child. 
right? A rod is for the back of fools. Um, and God's, God's discipline is sometimes hard, and it's not to discourage us, it's not to excommunicate us, it's to disciple us. So, so discipline is sometimes hard. And um, ultimately, if a fool will not bend his knee to the Lord, that is a violent punishment. The lake of fire is the most violent of all punishments. Right? Foolishness needs to be driven out of a child's heart early because the ultimate violent punishment is reserved for fools who go their own way and don't listen to the Lord. Right. And that doesn't mean there's no other possible ways, right? There's other things. No, you don't get dessert if you don't finish supper. Now, if you complain about what mom made for supper, you'll get a double portion of whatever you complained about. Th- that was all fair game. But we're talking about very small children that need to learn obedience very, very fast to respect authority. Uh, that delayed obedience is disobedience, right? That, that has to happen quick, especially in the little years. My father-in-law always says, the best time to raise teenagers is before the age of four. And I, I think there's wisdom in that. That doesn't mean it's too late. It just means the wetter the concrete is, the easier a time you're going to have. <laughs> okay? You can do it with a trowel instead of a jackhammer. But it's never too late. God takes us where we are, not where we should have been. Was there a hand here? Marina. Amen. No, and I think there's wisdom in all of that, right? So Marina said, spanking is different than hitting. Hitting is an abusive thing that, that you do just to vent because you're angry as a parent, right? A, a spanking that is redemptive means you go into a private place. This isn't happening in front of all the other kids. This isn't meant to humiliate, right? So we're not trying to shame the kid in front of his siblings. It's private. There's a conversation involved. Do you understand what you did? Do you understand sin hurts your heart? you understand there's forgiveness for sins, right? The spanking happens, redemptive happens, a hug happens, you cry for a little bit, and then it's, okay, now it's enough time to cry. Now, now we're going to put on a, a brave face and we're going to go back out. But it's totally redemptive, right? And, and that's a great tragedy is because abuse exists, people just equate hitting and spanking as though these are the same thing. Okay, this isn't, I'm really mad, so I'm just going to punch my kid in the back of the ribs. The, that's not a spanking. That's not redemptive. That's abusive. So there is a very, in my mind, a very clear distinction that needs to be made. Yeah. Inga and then Keith. Yeah. <laughs>
Amen. One of our kids at about age four, I, this is my worst day as a dad, and it still makes me cry. I was convinced had lied to me and was playing mom and dad against each other, and I was so sure of it. And lying is an egregious sin, so a spanking happened for lying to me. Tanya got home. Did this conversation happen? Yeah, why? Boy, talk about feeling like a wretch. I spanked my four-year-old for nothing. That is the worst thing I can think of, and I apologize to this child profusely, and I still do occasionally. (laughs) And they have been very gracious in forgiving me. But part of leading well is exactly what Inga said. If you screw up, if you make the wrong judgment, it's not a sign of weakness to apologize to your kids. Okay, because mom and dad are also saved by grace. Mom and dad are not infallible judges of right and wrong. Mom and dad are learning because we've never had a four-year-old before. We've never had a 20-year-old before. We've never had a six-month-old before. We're learning here too. And it's good if kids can see our feet are also made of clay. Okay, because we're not, we're not trying to create people who look just like us. We're trying to create people who are godly. More on this, on effectual calling. Yeah. <laughs> Remember where we started? Yeah. But this is all part of it, right? Because this is all things that shape us and, and move our heart in a certain way. Hugh. Amen. So if I understood Hugh correctly, if you didn't hear him, he's talking about coming from Asian culture, where I gather you saw more respect and more discipline in your native culture than what you've seen since you've been here. And I think that's not hard to see when you look even in terms of academic achievement. It's never surprising when you see the Asian kids at the top of the class in everything, right? They're, they're coming from a culture that stressed 
discipline and hard work and achievement and orderliness. And we have somehow in the West forgotten that. And as you were speaking, I remember, I, I think I actually shared this with Alfred a while back, but maybe some of you had seen it. Even military recruiting videos, okay? And I'm not an apologist for China or for Mother Russia, but there was a few, maybe two, three years ago, uh, little vignettes of recruiting videos. And this Russian recruiting video, there's this large muscle-bound guy, you know, strapping a knife into his boot and guns and just this thick, muscle-bound, square-jawed, clearly masculine individual, right? And I couldn't understand the text because it's in Russian. And then they showed a Chinese recruiting video, right? And this missile parade and, you know, fighter jets hitting their target and tanks rolling through this, right? And again, like, if I was Chinese, like, yeah, <laughs> right? So, and then there's the American one. It's a cartoon. Hi, I'm Emma. Me and my two moms, and, right? And she's brave. She's this brave girl from a family with two moms, and she just wants to protect freedom around. And it's like, you can see who is dedicated to the future in those ads. Russia, whatever their fault, is committed to winning the future. China, whatever their problems, is committed to winning the future. And we are hell-bent in the West on destroying ourselves. We have committed to lose. We have decided the future doesn't matter. Okay? And the way we discipline children, I think, is a great uh, indicator of what we believe about the future. Is it worth it or isn't it? Uh, and so I say yes and, and amen. If some of those emphases on discipline made it here, I think that would be okay. Maybe he was the guy that can teach us about Eastern respect. Dave. Amen. I'm assuming because of how free-flowing these conversations get, I'd, I'm assuming we're all okay with these off-ramps that get quite practical. Are we good with that? Because, <laughs> 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 
No, and I, I am happy. This is why I don't come with a list of points for Sunday school. We can use this. I'm happy to let this happen because I think if people are thinking these things, that means it's relevant and practical, but I just want to make sure that, it's, that we're all okay with this if this happens. Yeah? Okay. Cause, and it does relate back to effectual calling because we are talking about how hearts are shaped, how hearts are molded. Why do hearts want what they want? Okay? And how do we work with our own heart? How do we work with the child's heart? And ultimately, how does God discipline us and train our hearts? Okay? What kind of a heart are we uh, working with? And so it is all ultimately related. Now, I also understand that there is some cake at the back. So we'd rather end it early than late today. I don't know if there's any special instructions or anything to, to say. It's a, it's, a, it's a free for all. What's that? Eat cake. Okay. So there are strict orders to eat cake. What? <laughs> Why don't we pray and then we can get to that. Father God, thank you for your kindness. Lord, I want to thank you for conversations like this, that even though they start at one place, it makes practical expression in different places. Lord, and I want to thank you for uh, the willingness of people to think and to share and to discuss. Um, And we trust that your wisdom was in this conversation and that it will continue to be as we move forward. Lord, and especially as we think about little hearts and the tremendous responsibility we have to shape and steer them. Lord, whether we are old and are at the position of praying for our grandchildren, whether we are very young and thinking about the children that you have yet to bless us with, or whether we are right in the midst of it now with children of various ages, Lord, I pray that your spirit would give a dose of wisdom here, um, that we would not regret past things, but that we would look at where we are now. Thank you that you have forgiven all past things, that you clean us up, you take us where we are, not where we should have been, um, and that we would start to work today. And as your prophet says, that we would not despise the day of small beginnings, but that we would take concrete action today to, to have our own hearts shaped by your word and to also help shape the lives that are entrusted to us. Uh, to respect and obey your word and to live for your glory, for your honor. Lord, I pray for each one here. Lord, I pray that we would be gripped by uh, the kindness of your grace, by the radical nature of your grace, and that we would be gripped even by the kindness of your law, and that it's not meant to suppress joy or to kill joy, but to grow us into true joy. Lord, so I pray that you would sanctify us by your spirit, that we would live for your glory, that we would be known as people who live grace and not just talk about it. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for a time of coffee and fellowship that's about to happen. I pray that you'd be glorified in that as well. And thank you for all that have prepared it. Thank you for your kindness, and we pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. And amen.